Hi, this is ETF.com's Exchange Traded Fridays podcast, a weekly podcast covering developments in the ETF industry. My name is Sumit Roy, and I'm Senior Analyst for ETF.com. This week, I'm talking with Patrick Neal, Managing Partner and Founder of Distribution Cognizant. Patrick, your fund, the Reverb ETF, is super fascinating. It weights its holdings based on ratings that people input into your mobile app. Can you tell us more about this fund? The Reverb ETF is a product that we launched almost a year ago to fill what we saw was an unaddressed need in the market uh, and potentially an unaddressed market efficiency. And that was the absence of a product that essentially allowed people to invest in accordance with the sort of average ratings or average interests of folks as it applies to large corporations. We we collect this kind of information for mom and pop shops and brick and mortar and sort of retail specific operations. And there's Yelp and there's Google Google reviews and things of this nature. But no one was systematically asking these questions about major corporations. And in an era where people are concerned with impact investing and they are also looking for every possible source of alpha, we sort of said, well, this is two birds with one stone. So we built an app we launched a fund and the two work hand in hand together. Yeah, it's amazing. And can you tell me and tell us what inspired you to create this fund? Was it a hunch or is there some type of research that suggests that this type of strategy could outperform? Well, sentiment factors in general are are very well researched at this point in the quantitative investing community, and they're actively deployed by lots of quant shops. Uh, so I, I wouldn't call this a hunch. It's sort of known that sentiment factors uh, can provide alpha. And so the question in our minds was, could we find a novel one? And could we really, could we create a novel one? Um, and I was fortunate enough to be able to discuss this idea with lots of former colleagues. And of course, the question of backtests and, and research always come up. But my point of view is that um, by the time something's developed into a sort of long dated, long backdated signal, it's, you know, by the time the signal's commoditized, so to speak, you've kind of missed your opportunity for the alpha. And I think in a certain, in a certain way, you could never really create this um, synthetically because we are trying to do something novel and as much as give people the chance to report themselves uh, information that, that is sort of personal and that, uh, you know, the process of reporting actually provides value for them. So that's something that hadn't been done. So it wasn't something we could easily go back and recreate, but we're just trying to focus really hard on uh, creating good incentives for people. So we think we've created good incentives for app users. We've created good incentives for investors, and we hope to create good incentives for corporate management. And we think there's a sort of three-way synergy there that, that we can tap. And I did download the app before this podcast just to test it out and see how it works. Do you have any stats on how many people have downloaded the app and how actively they use it? Yeah, we've got almost 17,000 downloads. The activity levels range a lot. Some people check it out once. Some people come back regularly. Some people have come back, you know, as far apart as 10 or 11 months in between ratings. Uh, and we also have a wide range of sort of engagement within the app. Some people leave one rating. Uh, some people leave, you know, 10. Some people leave three or 400. Uh, and some people like to leave comments. Some don't. We've tried to make it as low touch as possible. So if all you want to do is provide this rating, that's great because the app, or, I'm sorry, the fund positions are driven purely by the app ratings. 
but we do provide this feature where folks can leave comments as well. And our hope uh, in the near future is to, th is to synthesize those comments into actionable summaries so that when we make trades, we can offer little press releases with some helpful information to corporate management. Hey, this is what's going right. This is why people are increasing their ratings, it would seem. But the positions themselves are based purely on the ratings because we don't want to bias uh, the weightings against anyone's vote. Everyone's votes treated equally. So it's not a question of how you wrote your comment or what you had to say. It's purely your, your rating that determines your contribution to the funds positions. And it's my understanding that you can use the app even without owning the ETF, obviously. Like I downloaded the app and I put in a exactly. rating for Apple and I don't own the ETF. So what do yeah, exactly. the people, yeah. So what do the people who use the app get out of it? Do they just do it for fun? It's the same principle that we think guides people to, to for example, Yelp or Google reviews or any kind of review service. It's the opportunity to have a voice, which I think is a very human instinct is people want to be heard, uh, particularly as it pertains to things that are impacting their lives. And so obviously major corporations have huge impacts on people's lives. And so we think once we're able to spread the word, we're going to have no shortage of people who have a lot to say. And we want to hear from everyone. I mean, we expect to hear predominantly from customers when it applies to B2C companies. But we also hope to hear from people who are stakeholders. And we think there's potentially valuable investment information in both of those categories. And of course, there could be overlap. Uh, you know, if we're hearing, um, if we're observing ratings changes at the at the sort of user level, it may very well be that we're seeing changes in customer sentiment, which could have uh, near-term impacts on cash flows. Or it could be that we're seeing uh, changes in sentiment uh, from stakeholders, which could have longer term impacts on cash flows as it applies to regulatory shifts or, or things that an industry or a company might be doing uh, might be doing well or might be doing poorly as it regards to their brand uh, and their sort of presence in the economy. So we think that there's valuable information from all these kinds of potential app users. They certainly don't have to be fund investors, but we have tried to build a product that we think is, is a easily holdable product because we would love to sort of have as much social buy-in as possible. You know, we'd like to create something that is a sort of unambiguously healthy thing for the economy and and uh, has widespread buy-in both from from app users and investors. And Patrick, you mentioned you've had 17,000 downloads so far. Does the signal that you get from these ratings improve the more people download the app and use it? Have you reached the critical mass where the signals are pretty good already or is there more downloads that need to happen before? I think the answer to the first to question level. is we unequivocally expect the signal to get better the more people use it. Um, again, the, the idea is to create some healthy incentives across the entire economy. So the more information we have from the more people, the better a job we will have done of getting our finger on the pulse of, of the economy and, and the political economy and the sort of sentiment of, of, of the average person, because that's the thing we really want to try to tap. As to your second question, I don't think we're where we want to be yet. This is a very risk-controlled product because, again, we want it to be widely, uh, you know, we want it to be something that a large group of people can easily hold in some small fraction in their portfolio. So it's a very uh, active risk-constrained product, and we have the signal uh, controlled as a function of app usage. So we have pretty small active positions at this point, and they will certainly get larger as we see the magnitude of the single signal increase, I maybe mean, particularly as we see the app use increase. So we'll be more and more confident about the information we're getting, the more and more people we hear from. So That's great. So 
you mentioned, you know, you, you have a few active positions right now. So I'm curious to know how these ratings translate into actionable insights that you use to pick stocks. If someone, you know, rates something five star, does that mean you overweight that stock a little bit? And as more people rate that stock five stars, do you, you know, increase that overweight? How does it work? Yeah, so the, the principle that we're trying to work from is, uh, you know, we want to have a kind of golden rule kind of product where, where we're really concerned with the average person to the extent we can kind of compute that. Because uh, we think that's what would sort of resonate with most people. That's what just seems naturally fair to us. And I think that's sort of what seems naturally fair in history is you sort of have this democratic process. So we compute a, a simple average um, from all the ratings that we get. We do some minor statistical controls. You know, we do control individual voters uh, or individual raters um, input, input for variance. Uh, and we control the overall signal for variance across users. So if we see everyone's ratings for a particular company jump from four stars to five stars with almost no variation, that's a very strong signal for us. Whereas if we see uh, a ratings increase that's also accompanied by uh, increased dispersion of the ratings, then we're going to throttle that signal back a little bit. So we do some basic statistical controls, but our fundamental our fundamental calculation is to look at what the average rating was uh, over the over the previous hundred days, and then we look at the average rating over the last ten days. And if we've seen that measure go up, then we take a proportionate increase in active position. Like, that, you know, there are throttles, there are speed bumps to try to minimize uh, jumps and portfolio turnover. But we've tried to build a real simple signal because I, you know, I think the imperative thing for us to try to do is be seen as a trustworthy custodian of these ratings. I don't think people are going to bother providing us with this information if they don't think it's being put to good use. So having a fairly transparent and easily understandable intuitive trading algorithm uh, is the way we're doing it. So most of the signal is focused on these changes in ratings. And then we do weight in uh, the overall absolute rating a little bit. But my assumption is that that's kind of priced into the market. You know, the companies in sectors that are heavily protected uh, and not very competitive, you know, may just be less popular with jaded customers in general. So we're going to assume some of that information is priced in and mostly focus on changes in ratings. But we also focus a bit on absolute rating. That makes a lot of sense. And do you think as more people download the app, you'll have to kind of combat people who are maybe giving inauthentic ratings or trying to game the system in some way? Yeah, I, I mean, that's a great question. And, you know, traders and investors always ask that. Uh, we are so focused on incentives. And I think that provides the answer somewhat. Um, you know, at small AUM, there's nothing to be gained by anyone for gaming this thing. And at larger AUM, that could potentially change. Uh, we have pretty straightforward uh, procedures to try to screen for that at this point in time. And if we grow larger, we will increase the sophistication and, and number of those procedures. We require a certain level of ID check-in. We take people's Google IDs or Apple IDs. So we have some idea of, of who folks are. We have some idea of who bots are. So if folks were going to try to organize massive campaigns... Uh, you know, it would be a tough thing to do uh, and generate reliable price impact. So I think as a strategy for a potential fraudulent actor, it's not a great strategy. Uh, now, I mean, if we had $100 billion, that would start to change a little bit, but it would require these very large, sophisticated uh, campaigns to fake the votes. And I think if we get that big, we'll have plenty of 
uh, gunpowder to increase the sophistication of our bot detection and our fraud detection. But it's certainly something that we that we think about a lot. Gotcha. So I'm curious, Patrick, what the current holdings in the ETF are right now, particularly the stocks that are overweight based on the signals that you've gotten and underweight based on the signals that you've gotten. Yeah. Uh, so we are focused on one factor, but we don't pretend that we are the only factor that moves prices. So what we have to do is assume that the market's fairly efficient to begin with. And then we try to fold in our novel trading information in a systematic way. So we start with something that looks a lot like the market portfolio. So we hold the 500 or so, 450 to 550 largest companies publicly traded in the U.S. at any point in time. And we hold them roughly approximate to their market capitalization weights. So that's our starting portfolio. And that's on the basis of market efficiency and having a product that's easily uh, incorporated into folks' portfolios. And then we take very measured active uh, weights, active positions in excess or um, or slightly under those starting positions. So we have tried to focus users' attention on mega caps just because we're going to have the greatest success uh, finding people who are familiar with these companies and concentrating ratings in these companies. So instead of kind of scattering our ratings all across those 400 to 500 to 600 biggest companies, we've been making an effort to focus them on the mega caps and we present the mega caps first on the app. And consequently, that's where we've taken our active positions. And so at the exact moment, we are a little bit overweight, a few mega caps, we're a little bit underweight, a few mega caps. You can see the holdings on reverb-etf.com. And we're trading every few weeks and we sort of just trade with the waves of signals, uh, with the waves of ratings as they come in. But it's very similar to a market portfolio at this point in time and will be risk constrained going forward. So it's never going to look too different either. It's definitely a beta plus kind of product. And, and yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it, I would imagine that most of the ratings are happening on the consumer focused names, the mega cap names that people are really familiar with rather than some type of industrial companies that. That's correct. That, yeah, okay. That's totally correct to me. And I think we only expect that to change. Uh, I think we expect to see ratings outside of B2C more from stakeholder types than from consumer types, obviously. And it, it'll be interesting to see if that starts to percolate, because this is certainly this certainly can serve as a vehicle for those sorts of uh, impressions to come through. And we think we're a really interesting alternative to most other impact funds when it comes to those stakeholder uh, sort of questions where we have no intermediaries kind of guiding people or telling people what to think or what's good for them. It's really a we're just purely asking people to share their own experiences. So I think when we do start to see more uh, ratings coming online for B2B companies, it's going to be really interesting. It's it's going to be a true pulse on uh, if these, it's going to be a, a true referendum on if these companies are making people's lives better or not, and not even as consumers. So that's going to be interesting if, that, if, it, if it gets to that point. And Patrick, when we first started this podcast, you mentioned how, you know, sentiment has been used to, um, pick and choose stocks for a long time now, and it's been proven to to work. And um, so I'm curious how your strategy compares to some of the other funds that use sentiment signals. I know there's a few out there that look at social media posts and things like that. How does your fund compare to those? Yeah, the, the caveat should be that sometimes these signals seem to work and sometimes they they don't. The thing that differentiates us is the mechanism in which we're collecting, with which we're collecting the data and the incentives that we're trying to create for truthful reporting. 
there's obviously a lot of room for um, all kinds of bias when you are going through down the NLP road and you're scraping texts or you're, or you're scraping tweets, uh, or if you're, you know, calling people up in the evening and you only get the people who are sitting at home and answer the phone at six o'clock. We obviously have a bias as well, which is that people have to be able to use apps. But I think at this point in time, that covers a massive swath of the, of the population. So um, that's a big advantage for us. And I think the fact that we can couch our ratings collection in these very simple terms of rate over two and a half stars if the company's making your life better, rate under two and a half stars if the company's making your life worse. It's a real simple collective collection mechanism. And I think that's going to potentially allow us to tap completely unheard of volumes of respondents. And that's going to be a much more pure approximation for what actual average sentiment is than you could possibly get from navigating the internet or sort of doing targeted polling. At least that's my, that's my view is if you get the whole population instead of just a sample, you're going to have a better estimate of the whole population. And we're not getting the whole population yet, but I think we've built something where uh, we have the potential to do that going forward. Now, Patrick, obviously this ETF reverb is focused on U.S. stocks, and it seems primarily large and mid-cap U.S. stocks. Do you think this type of strategy could work for other segments of the market, like small caps or international stocks? Absolutely. If, if we had a large enough user base, there's no reason it couldn't work for small caps, too. Uh, we would also be very interested in doing a market neutral strategy at some point. We could obviously synthesize one of those at this time if we wanted to, but we don't really think that's where the demand is. And there's no reason this couldn't apply internationally as well. I mean, that's all stuff we'd be really interested in, in looking into going forward. We're, we're a small kind of maverick advisor. So that stuff's all down the road for us and we're trying to stay independent. So that stuff's definitely in the pipeline uh, creatively, but you know, probably a ways off still practically. So, Patrick, this is obviously a very unique ETF. How would this type of fund fit into an investor's portfolio? Well, given my uh, background, I have my own biases on you know how you go ahead and cre create portfolios and you sort of start with the market portfolio and then you make your adjustments from there. We've tried to build something that can easily take the place of part of someone's market portfolio holdings. So whatever index fund someone might have had, to begin with as a sort of bedrock uh, beta anchor in their portfolio, we're hoping people will consider just shifting a small part of those holdings into our fund. And we also provide a fairly low cost solution. We're much uh, lower cost than other sentiment funds. We're just a 30 basis point fund. Granted, that's more than your index products, but we are hopeful that people are willing to take a little shift there. And in exchange, they'll get a little more active risk than they would from a pure market portfolio holding. Uh, but they'll also get both the exposure to our sentiment signal and all these sort of tertiary benefits in terms of buying into and investing in the uh, well-being of the average person, because that's what our long-term vision is, is to have enough money in this fund that corporate management uh, around the country is saying to themselves, hey, we have to be concerned about price impact that comes from shifts in average folks' sentiment. And then they'll have to just be a little more considerate of the impacts of their decisions on the average American, which we think would be a, a nice, uh, simple market-driven way of impacting that change into corporate decision-making. That's great. And before I let you go, Patrick, is there anything else you want to add? No, I hope people will go to uh, rev.vote and give us a quick read and check out the app and the fund.
Absolutely. Well, this is a, such a super uh, interesting ETF, Patrick. I've never seen anything like it. And I'm excited to see what happens in the future if you continue to get downloads and the assets in the fund continue to grow. But, you know, really appreciate you, your time and thanks so much for sharing your insights with us. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find this and all other Exchange Traded Fighters episodes on ETF.com or on any major podcast platform. See you next week. Thank you.